please take up your Bibles again. We're going to have a reading from um, God's Word. Uh, we're going to be reading from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 21. And as I said at the beginning, this is um, the text that um, Darren will be taking the message um, from a little bit later on in the, um, in the worship service. So 1 Kings um, chapter 19 verses 1 to 21 and this follows on from what we learned about last week um, which was the um, the prevailing of, um, of the Lord over the um, prophets of, um, of Baal. This is what we read. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough now, O Lord? Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he drank and went in strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go and stand out on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came to a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And even I only, only, I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be the king over Syria, Haziel. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Haloa, you shall anoint him to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. 
So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Well, good evening, folk. Lovely to close out the day gathering again together. Just a reminder that uh, the school term resumes tomorrow and the following Monday for our private schools. So we're going to resume, or we're going to start actually, a couple of new series for the school term. So Sunday mornings, as of next Sunday, we're going to do a deep dive into the wonderful book of Ephesians. So we're going to work our way right through the book of Ephesians. So if you get inspired during the week, please have a look at Ephesians. Uh, next Sunday's text is, is Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. It's a wonderful book. Uh, it's all about the riches we have in Christ. And it's a, a great book for us as a church. There's a lot there about the doctrine of church, how we are called to live and walk together. Next Sunday night, we're going to start a series on the wonderful book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the greatest kind of look at life, the, the troubles of life. So we're going to go right through the book of Ecclesiastes, about a chapter a week. So that's next Sunday night and Ephesians in the morning. Why don't we bow for a word of prayer and then we'll unpack 1 Kings 19 together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for drawing us here this evening. And Lord God, for bringing us here to sing songs of praise to you, Lord. Father, to be reminded that we are called to walk before you, to live all of life before you, to offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, Lord. Father, help us this evening to be encouraged and equipped, Lord, Father, to, to go forth this week, Lord, rejoicing in you, Lord, and not, not sharing the anxieties of the world around us, because, Father, we know we are safe in the arms of our loving Heavenly Father, and you're working all things together for your glory. And, Lord God, we thank you for this wonderful chapter of Kings, in which, Lord, we see your grace to a servant, Lord, in his depression and doubt, Father, and Father, we are reminded of your amazing grace to us. That, Father, you know we are dust. You know we are prone to stumble, Lord, and, and yet you love us, Father, and persist with us. And, Father, pour out upon us grace upon grace. And, Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great Baptist pastors is, of course, or was, of course, Charles Spurgeon, called the, the Prince of Preachers. And uh, he was used mightily by God. And you, you may not know that but he, he suffered amazingly, uh, terribly from depression. Uh, he had many critics, many people who were trying to destroy him. And he had incredible times of great darkness and depression. And, and he said a couple of things about depression to his students. He said this, Depression comes over most of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong aren't always so vigorous, the wise not always ready, the brave not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. I know by most painful experience what deep depression in spirit means. Uh, he noted too that, yes, we, we are prone to, to spiritual attack, 
But we also live in bodies that are prone to break down, are prone to run down. We can go through things like burnout. And often we go through uh, times of, of low feelings because of our bodies. He said this, Certain bodily maladies, especially those with the digestive organs, the liver and the spleen, are the fruitful fountains of despondency. As to mental maladies, is any man altogether sane? Are we not all a little off balance? So some very practical words there from Spurgeon about times of depression. And we, we all go through seasons in life. Uh, you, as you look back over your life, you see wonderful seasons of joy, of, of growth, of, of new things. And we have seasons of suffering, seasons of pain. And we even go through what is often called the dark night of the soul. When the suffering at times feels too much and we can feel really isolated in our hurt, like no one understands. But we see here Elijah called the greatest of the Old Testament prophets going through his dark night of the soul. Elijah actually prays to God to take away his life. Now he knows that God is sovereign, he won't kill himself, but he says, God, I've had it. I've had enough. Just take me home. And haven't we been to that point? And at some times in our life, we get to that point of just, it seems too tough. Sometimes life can feel like it hurts too much. But never forget the amazing grace of God. And we see here in 1 Kings 19, the beautiful, loving, tender grace of God to a stumbling servant. So point one is this. God's servant says, Get me out of here. Now over the past two Sunday evenings, we looked at uh, 1 Kings 17 and 1 Kings 18. And we saw how at this very lowest point in Israel's history, we had this terribly wicked King Ahab who married an even more wicked Sidonian princess. She wasn't a Jew, Princess Jezebel, whose name means uh, praise Baal, or Baal be praised, was a Sidonian. And she not only worshipped Baal, but she tried to ban the worship of God in Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel in the divided kingdoms. And she tried to put to death the, the prophets and priests of Yahweh. And so we have Israel here at its very lowest point, when the very worship of Yahweh, their covenant God, was being banned by their wicked king and even worse, Queen Jezebel. And so God sends Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, to call Israel back to himself. And we saw in 1 Kings 18 this amazing confrontation. Elijah calls Ahab, bring all the people of Israel to Mount Carmel and there we will see who is God over Israel. And so, of course, all of the prophets of Baal uh, tried to call down fire from heaven from Baal. Uh, as you recall, Baal is the storm god, the god of lightning and thunder and rain and fertility. Baal should have been able to send lightning. And they cried for Baal to send down lightning, and Baal did nothing, nothing at all. Elijah, before all of Israel, prays to Yahweh, Yahweh sends down fire from heaven, burns up the altar, burns up even the water. All Israel sees Yahweh is Lord. And so the people cried out in, in a great voice, Yahweh 
He is God. Yahweh, He is God. And then jubilant, Elijah says, bring forth the prophets of Baal and he put them to death. Because we read back in the Mosaic law, you were to put to death anyone who tried to lead Israel away from the worship of Yahweh. So he had this amazing confrontation on Carmel when all the people of Israel and their wicked king saw Yahweh is God and there is no other. And so if you were Elijah, you would think, God has shown his power. This amazing miracle on, on Mount Carmel. We've put to death the prophets of Baal or the priests of Baal. God has shown up. And yet, Ahab doesn't repent. And so we have this incredible anti-climax in chapter 19. Look at verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now again, if Ahab was a man of any kind of integrity, he would have said, Yahweh has shown his power. Don't be trying to import the worship of your pagan idol in Israel. We are a covenant people of God. But Ahab was wicked and he was weak. And Jezebel, rather than repenting, despite this amazing showing of supernatural power by Yahweh, uh, promises instead to put Elijah to death. And so she sends a messenger to Elijah saying, uh, by this time tomorrow, you too will be dead. And Elijah is shocked. He can't believe this turn of events. He thought this was a moment of judgment on Israel. Yahweh has shown his power. And the queen is unrepentant. The king is unchanged. So what does Elijah do? Verse 3, he runs for his life. He, he runs for the hills. This is not how he thought things would turn out. Now just the, the, the previous day or so, when, when the rain came, God broke the drought and sent rain. God empowered Elijah. He filled him with the Holy Spirit. And Elijah ran ahead of the chariot of Ahab all the way back to Jezreel, about 30 kilometres, running as fast as a horse-drawn chariot, full of the power of the Spirit. And now he just runs for his life. And he flees about 150 kilometres south of Jezreel, all the way south to the southernmost city in Judah, the southern kingdom. If you look at the next screen, you can see there a map. I'm not sure if you can see that, but uh, marked on there is the path that he took. So the northern kingdom of Israel is marked in orange. The green is the kingdom of Judah. Elijah flees all the way about 150k south to the southernmost city um, of, of Beersheba. And if we go to the next slide, uh, that's a photo I took of the gates of ancient Beersheba. So this is the southernmost city in Israel. Look at the next slide too. You can see it's a very arid place. That's the original ruins of Beersheba from about the time of Elijah. And so Elijah comes to this city. He's now outside of the kingdom of Ahab and Jezebel. And he, he's now running for his life. He's got a death sentence on his head. He's had enough and he's getting out of there. And so he leaves behind his servant in Beersheba and he flees out into the arid desert. If you go to the next slide, there's a photo of the desert near Beersheba. And you can see it is an incredibly arid place. And he travels about a day's journey out into the desert and says, 
I'm done. I'm done. Verse 4, he went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And listen to his prayer. He asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. It hasn't worked out the way he thought, and he's absolutely devastated, worn out, burnt out, and done. If you look at the next slide, you can see a photo of a beautiful desert broom tree, or also called the uh, juniper tree. It grows all around the harsh, arid lands of, of the uh, wilderness in Israel. He comes to, the, to a lovely, shady broom tree, sits there and says, Lord, take me home. It hasn't worked out. He thought God was bringing his judgment on the wicked king, and the wicked king is still in charge. Elijah is had it. Well, point two is this. God sends help to his perturbed prophet. Derek Thomas is a, a wonderful preacher who works with uh, uh, R.C. Sproul's Ligonier Ministries, and he says this about burnout. There are various kinds of burnout and depression, and some are the result of complex physical and psychological disorders. But there are times when we are spiritually depressed for no good reasons. There are times when the best thing to do with our feelings is to challenge them, to quote Psalm 42 and say, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 42, 11. And this is the kind of words that Elijah needed as he's lying under a broom tree. He's just seen amazing power from God, this amazing confrontation. And based on one threat by a wicked queen, he's run for his life and said, God, I'm clocking out, I'm absolutely done. We think of, uh, of Job this wonderful book about human suffering and the sovereignty of God. Job suffered in an amazingly intense way. He lost his children. He lost all he owned. He was covered in terrible sores and he was just sitting in dust and ashes in an absolute agony of soul. And his friends come to him and for a while they did a wonderful thing. They just sat with him and just entered into his suffering with him. But then they spoiled it all by lecturing him, by admonishing him, and by trying to pour out bad theology on him. Job didn't need a lecture. He needed grace and love. Well, at this point in time, Elijah doesn't need a lecture. He needs love. He needs grace. And God shows him amazing grace. Look there at verses 5 through 7. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Just don't miss God's amazing grace to this burnt out prophet. He feeds him. He provides him food and lets him rest. Sometimes when you're in the absolute kind of the heat of suffering, the white hot furnace of suffering, you need to rest. Stop. Rest. And, and, and you see here just the, the, the grace of God 
providing hot food and water for his suffering servant. As a church, we're called to live together lives closely. We are called to be mutually accountable. We are called to suffer with those who suffer, to mourn with those who mourn, to rejoice with those who rejoice. When folk are suffering, draw alongside of them. Bring them food. Uh, Just give them a shoulder to cry on. It's so important to enter into each other's suffering and not come in with great lectures, but to just share our grief together as we walk together as people redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Romans 12:15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And we see here God's wonderful grace to this sad, broken down, depressed prophet. And he just gives him food and rest, exactly what Elijah needed. And can you imagine the quality of this food? Look at verse 8. On the strength of that second meal... He arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. That's an amazingly long trek. If you look at the screen again, you can see the map. Uh, all the way down the bottom there on the, uh, the Egypt Peninsula is the region of Horeb. Horeb uh, is the region of Mount Sinai. He travels On the strength of this food, again, I think empowered by the Holy Spirit, he hikes about 400 kilometres. That's a bit of a trek. That's a bit of a walk. That's a long walk. And note too that it it takes him 40 days and 40 nights. It's a very symbolic number. Israel spent 40 years in this exact same desert. 40 days Moses spent on Mount Sinai with God. And of course, our Lord Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. So 40 days he treks, 40 nights to Horeb, and he comes to the Mount of God. You see, Elijah is thoroughly burnt out. Things haven't gone the way he thought. He needs a resetting of his perspective. And God does that by graciously showing up, by giving Elijah a theophany, a face-to-face meeting with his God. Uh, So point three is this, a powerful reminder of God's providence. So Elijah comes to a cave at Mount Horeb and, and he stays there the night. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life uh, to take it away. Now note too that, uh, yes, he's rightly feeling aggrieved. But note too that he is catastrophizing. Uh, In his terrible depression, he feels so alone. His I and only I am left. He's not seeing things clearly. And God will reset his perspective. God will show him that, in fact, there are more than 7,000 people in Israel who still faithfully serve Yahweh. But note, when you come to that time of suffering, that moment of all that season of grief, you can feel incredibly alone. Don't make any big decisions. Just look to the Lord, lean upon the Lord, because we do lose perspective in the furnace of suffering. And Elijah, this great, powerful prophet, 
has lost his perspective and he's feeling like he's all alone, left alone in this world. And so God shows up to remind Elijah God has not abandoned his people. God is in fact still sovereign. And so we have this wonderful encounter, this grace-filled encounter between Elijah and the creator of the universe. Look at verse 11. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and, and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek to my life to take it away. Now we can't be sure, but God shows Elijah these amazing manifestations of power. And yet, the Lord is in a whisper. I think Elijah wanted to see great power from God as God judged King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And God reminds Elijah, God is working in great things and even in small things. And his still small voice speaks to people as he calls them to himself. God was still at work in Israel and he's reminding Elijah, it hasn't worked out the way you thought, but God is sovereign. God is working out things in the best way. His ways are higher than our ways. And note too, God doesn't explain himself to Elijah. When God shows up at the end of Job, we have this amazing manifestation of God. He describes his amazing works, but he doesn't explain himself to Job. He says, look at my works and trust me. And God is here saying again, in effect, trust me. God is sovereign. He will judge. He will judge finally, but he's still at work. He's still gathering for himself a people. He's still working through Elijah, and he'll work through Elisha, and he'll work through you and me as, he, as we follow Jesus Christ. God's ways are greater than our ways, and we don't always understand his ways. We don't understand why suffering comes sometimes, but we can trust God. He is good and loving and he says he is working all things together for the good of those who love him. Elijah is reminded God is all-powerful, all-sovereign. He's working in great things like the fire from heaven and in little things. His still voice calling men, calling women to himself, bringing about a great a number of people from every tribe and every nation saved through faith in Jesus. You can trust God even when you don't understand the things happening in the world, the things happening in your own life. And so our, our last point is this, a new charge and a succession plan, looking at verses 15 through, uh, through 21. Let's read them now. And the Lord said to him, 
Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So Elijah doesn't need to understand what God is doing. He just needs to be a faithful and obedient servant of the Lord. And so after this amazing confrontation, this meeting with God, Elijah is uh, re-energized, recharged and equipped to go back into the front line, to go back into ministry. And he goes forth to appoint these kings and to appoint Elisha as his successor. So Elijah obeys the word of God. Again, if you see that the, last, the map again on the next screen, uh, he now travels all the way north up to appoint those kings or to anoint those kings and to anoint also Elisha as his successor. We, we read here that Elisha is the son of Shaphat of Abel Milholah. Elisha's name means God is salvation. Uh, he must have been a very wealthy man. He had 12 o- a yoke of oxen. He had servants working for him. And we see he hears the word of God through Elijah and obeys immediately and joins Elijah in the ministry. And God will work mightily through Elisha as well. Elijah has had his perspective reset. We can trust God in all things, even when we don't understand. We also need to remember today, God is sovereign. He's bringing all things about for his glory. And yes, he will finally come, or Christ will come again and judge, and every knee shall bow and call him Lord. But in the meantime, we are called to serve our Lord Jesus Christ, to make him known, to live lives that show others the hope we have through knowing the creator of the universe as our loving Heavenly Father. And never forget God is gracious and gentle with us in our suffering. He is our loving Heavenly Father. He uses even our sufferings to make us lean on him more, to look more to Jesus Christ, to love this world less, and to love him even more. Let's now bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord God, for this amazing and true account. Lord, we are reminded of, of your grace, that Lord, you are sovereign, Father, you are working all things for your glory. And Lord God, you use the big things and the little things, Lord. Lord, we we are called to trust in you, Lord God, to see just in this account your your gentleness, your grace and your love to those who are your own, who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Father, help us to trust you even in our sufferings even when we don't understand why these things have come, Lord, knowing that you are our loving Heavenly Father, and Lord, you redeem even our trials, Father, even our sufferings, Lord, as we learn to look to you and to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And in his name we pray. Amen.